I wish that um, all of you could be sitting up here. Sometimes in the midst of the worship, I just like to just turn and look across and see our congregation. And then having the kids in the room over here, there's one and he's just, man, he's just moving and shaking and just can't help himself. And over here, he's playing air guitar. Do you know how, I mean, that must bless the heart of God. That's what worship is. It's not primarily for us, it's, it's for him. But then what we discover is that when, when we make it for him, it does something then for us and in us. And we just sang those words, we will sing out hallelujah. We will cry out hallelujah. That's a, you know, that's a, a, a churchy word, isn't it? Hallelujah. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it doesn't even happen in church. Sometimes we, you know, somebody finally made it late to a meeting and you're like, oh, hallelujah. Like, <laughs> finally they're here. Or something good happens, or your team scores a goal, and you're like, ah, hallelujah. <laughs> but I wonder, do we know what, what the word really means? And actually, that very word shows up in the text that we want to look at in Revelation chapter 19 this weekend. In fact, it's an Old Testament word that uh, it only shows up in the New Testament in one place, Revelation chapter 19. And it's actually used four different times just in the chapter that we're going to look at together today. Sometimes there's words we say, things that we sing, but we forget or maybe we've never truly discovered what they really mean. And so we're going to to go old school today a little bit and, and teach you some of those churchy religious words, but why they are so important and significant. And one of those words is the word... Hallelujah. So turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19 or follow along on the screen or, what, or on your smartphone. And here's what John is let into. Revelation 19 verse 1. John is receiving this revelation from Jesus. And it says, After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He says, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now, elsewhere, as we've been walking through the book of Revelation and John is receiving this this kind of vision, here it's not something that he sees that he describes. At first in chapter 19, what he's talking about is something that he first picks up with his ears. It's something that he hears. And it's so loud that he can't can't help but be drawn into it. And it says there's this vast crowd, and they aren't just singing. They are shouting the word hallelujah. The word literally means praise the Lord. In fact, in our New Living Translation, which is what we typically use here on the weekends when we're teaching, they don't even include the word hallelujah. It just gives the the paraphrase or or the, the, the meaning of the word right in the text. Praise the Lord. But the original word that is there in the Greek language is this word, hallelujah. So whenever we say that, what we're really saying is, praise be to God. So when our team scores a point and we say, hallelujah, we aren't praising the people or the team. We're praising the God who gave the gifts and abilities to the team members. 
When we say hallelujah, we're, we're worshiping and thanking God for both who he is and all that he has done. Hallelujah? Hallelujah. And the, the, like the, I don't know if you knew this, I'm a recovering Baptist. Like, it might come out today. Sometimes, you know, it just slips. I'm so grateful for my Baptist roots and just where, where I learned the Word of God and where I first heard the gospel of Jesus changed my life. Something to say and even shout hallelujah about. Let's look at what they're praising God for. It says, His judgments, God's judgments are true and just. In the previous chapter, what has happened is the fall of Babylon, this empire of evil that is influencing the whole world system, and now they are celebrating and praising God, saying, hallelujah, because you've brought your righteous judgments to bear upon the situation. He has punished, it says, this great prostitute. It's Babylon. It's all that's evil who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the murder of his servants. People that had been martyred for their faith, that had literally given their life up because they claimed to know and follow Jesus and would not recant this. What we see happening in the book of Revelation is that some of them, their lives will be taken from them. And the same thing, the same thing has happened recently in Afghanistan. Where I've read reports of people that have gathered, even though the Taliban knew where they were and said, we know where you are and we're coming for you. They met and they worshipped anyway. With real threat to their lives. And what's being celebrated here in Revelation 19 is God's final vengeance for the blood that was shed of people that give their life to Jesus. He goes on, he says, and again, their voices rang out. This is the second one, hallelujah, in Revelation chapter 19. Praise the Lord, and it says, the smoke from that city ascent, the smoke over Babylon, it rises forever and ever as this symbol of destruction and God's righteous judgment over all that is evil. And then, then the crowd, it grows even larger and louder. In addition to this crowd that's already gathering that John is hearing, it says then the 24 elders and the four living beings, they fell down. We see this scene time and time again throughout, scattered throughout the book of Revelation in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of plagues, in the midst of the rise of the Antichrist, God's people are still worshiping. Why? Because all of Revelation is about the sure fact that Jesus is still in control. He's on the throne and he's coming again. It says all these, they, they all bow down, they all worship to the one who is sitting on the throne and they cried out, Amen. Another churchy, religious word. Another word that we say often, not just at the end of prayers. I remember when, uh, when my daughter, Lainey, was only about 18 months old, maybe two years old at the most. We were at her friend's house, uh, Ron and Heidi, and we would gather and, and have pizza with them all, almost every Friday night. And their girls were the same age as our girls. And my, my friend, Ronnie, he's one of my closest friends. And man, he just has a heart for the world. 
And, and, and when Ronnie would bow his head and he would lead us in prayer for the pizza, man, it went beyond the pizza. I mean, he prayed for everybody and everything and every tribe and every nation and every tongue. And, and Ronnie was just, he was just praying away and praying away. And all of a sudden I hear little Laney's voice in the middle of his prayer. And amen. <laughs> she was done. <laughs> And she was trying to let Ronnie know, Ronnie, it's time. It's time to eat the pizza. But what does the word, what, amen, what does it mean? What, what was it that they were singing? What was it that they were all shouting together? The word amen literally means we agree or let it be so. When, when we say amen at the end of someone else's prayer, we're saying together, in unity, I'm with you in that. I agree. I believe that. I'm praying for that with you. I agree. Let it be so. Let it happen. Amen? Amen. Now we know. Now we know that there's deep, rich meaning behind these religious words that sometimes we just hear people flippantly saying, and sometimes if we're honest, we flippantly say, and, and yet they're all about Jesus, and they're about his kingdom. What did, what did Jesus pray in the disciples' prayer? Uh, Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be. Let it be so. We agree. We come together in unity. And then it says, and from the throne came a voice. It's like this heavenly intercom system. And John hears this now, and there's this voice that comes over the intercom that says, praise our God, all of his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. It was an invitation to praise. It was an invitation to adore God. It was an invitation to to exalt God, to say hallelujah, praise God, amen. And, and we see the heartbeat of God here that his desire is that from the least to the greatest, from the youngest to the oldest, from the smallest to the largest, from the most insignificant to the most prestigious, that all people would worship God for who he is and what he has done. Hallelujah, amen. I can't, I don't know how to better describe the situation of this singing, this vast crowd, this shouting, this incredible celebration. It's like, it's like having, well, it's like having a brown stadium full of Pastor Eric's <laughs> and a Super Bowl win. Can you imagine the, the, the shouting, the, the celebration, the dancing? I mean, it's happened. <laughs> I've seen the video footage of him on the Jumbotron. <laughs> and so have some of you, and you said, is that our pastor? One of them. But here, here the, the dancing, the celebration, the shouting. It's for our creator and our king. John Piper puts it this way. He says, corporate worship is the public savoring of the worth of God and the beauty of God and the power of God and the wisdom of God. He says, and therefore worship, it's an open declaration to all the powers of heaven and to all of Babylon that has just fallen, uh, that we will not prostitute our minds, our hearts, our bodies to the allurements of this world. 
Corporate worship is a public gathering and a unity of believers saying, we give our lives to Jesus and Jesus alone. This is why, you guys, this is why this is so important for us to be together like this. There's no substitute. It's something that we can't get on a video screen to be with other believers and to say amen, to agree with one another, to in unity say hallelujah, praise God for who he is and all that he's done. That's worship. As part of our 2023 vision, we want to grow deeper as a church. That should always be the vision of the church, right? It, it, it is. But what we've discovered is that while we've grown wide and extended our reach and re- reach more people and open another campus, all those things, in order for us to continue to grow wide, we have to grow deeper. And, and so our team has developed some, some incredible opportunities to help us intentionally grow deeper in our faith. And if you're a part of the chapel, this, this is who we are. This is where we're going. This is, all of us should be taking a step. Uh, out, in, out at the Welcome Center, in a couple weeks back, we gave you guys a flyer of a bunch of class opportunities. And it's not just to go sit in a class and learn some head knowledge. It's to grow deeper in our faith. One of those classes that's, that's listed there, and you can register, you can get signed up for this, is a class called The Why of Worship. Understanding the beliefs and values that shape our weekend. If you've ever wondered, like, well, why do we do those songs? And why do so somebody stand up and preach from God's word? And what, why do we do the things that we do? What's the why behind our worship? I want to encourage you to come. The coolest thing is this class, it's being developed by our worship leaders. Meg from here in Sandusky, Jeremy, our worship lead over at Norwalk, and Spencer Eller, who leads at our Port, Clamp, Port Clinton campus, and, and they're developing this, and they're going to be there, and they're going to teach us. And so I want to encourage you, go online, go to the events page, register, sign up today. Say, you know, I, I want to grow deeper in worship. I want to get ready for what Revelation chapter 19 is talking about. I want to be the, one of the ones shouting at the top of my lungs, hallelujah, amen. Well, as we read on in Revelation chapter 19, John says, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves and the crash of... Were you, did you get woken up the other night in the middle of the night in the midst of a storm with that loud crash? John says, man, I don't even know how to explain what I'm hearing. It's just like thunder. It's like waves. It's like a storm. It's so loud. And it says they're singing, hallelujah, praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Now this is important because in verses 6 and 7, there's a pivot that happens right here. It's a pivot from worshiping and celebrating God for who he is and what he has done to now looking forward to what God is yet to do. Look at the next verse with me. He says, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. Catch this. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. John is now entering into worship for what is coming, what is ahead. And what is it that's coming? It's a great and grand 
wedding feast. And he says the bride has prepared herself. In the New Testament, the church, people that have given their lives to Jesus, is described as the bride of Christ and that Christ is the groomsman. And the time period that we are living in right now is like the betrothal. It's like the engagement. We're in relationship, but that relationship has not ultimately been consummated. We don't see Jesus face to face. The story of of really history is one of God creating, creating humanity for a relationship with himself, but then something happened in the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve, they go against God's will and God's way, and what's the first thing that happens after they go against God? They find themselves hiding. Shame and guilt enter into the world, and the relationship that God wanted to have with humanity, it's severed. And there's something in between. And what Revelation chapter 19 is talking about is a time when there will no longer be anything in between. There will be no sin. There will be no sickness. There will be no sorrow. There will be no curse. I love the way that Paul Tripp puts it. He says, these sinners, they're celebrating because the bond that was broken in the garden has been restored. They have been wed to their Savior forever. Forever they will be in his presence. Never again will they be separate from him. Never again will they hide. Never again will they be driven away. Their fellowship will never end, and the sound of their celebration will never grow quiet. Amen? Hallelujah? (laughs) Yeah, that's something to look ahead to. And John says, I'm inviting you into this kind of celebration that looks ahead so that we might be prepared, that we might be ready for this grand celebration, a feast like never before. And in Revelation chapter 19, what we find in the next verses is not just something that John hears, but now something that John sees. He says, Then I saw heaven opened. And a white horse was standing there. And its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. This is the return of Christ. The faithful and true, that's Jesus. And it says he was there on a horse It's interesting that when Jesus first came, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as a servant. But in his second coming, he's coming as a king and as a warrior to fight the good fight, to make things finally right again. It says his eyes, they were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Though in his first coming, Jesus wore a crown of thorns and gave his life up, When he comes again, he's going to be crowned with many crowns because he's the conquering king that's come to receive power and to take over this world like never before. It says, a name was written on him that no one understood except himself, and he wore a robe dipped in blood. When Jesus came the first time, he shed his blood for you and me for the forgiveness of our sins. But when he comes again... It will be to avenge the blood of others that have faithfully followed Jesus and even given their lives 
because of him. And it says, and on his robe and at his right, on his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John Piper puts it this way. He says, there are two appearings of Christ. One is called an appearing of grace. The other called an appearing of glory. What God's grace has begun in our lives through the first coming of Christ, his glory will complete in our lives through the second coming. Guys, this is why we should be looking forward with great anticipation that Jesus is going to come again and that Jesus is going to conquer all evil once and for all. And in Revelation 19, verse 19, we come to the end of this chapter and we see this great war that occurs. Some call it Armageddon. It says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies who had gathered together to fight against the one that was sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his statue. What, what John is describing here is the enemy of our souls and what we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, how people will be led astray and even be accepting the, the mark of the, the beast and they'll be allured in. And he says all these evil forces that will come together to go against Jesus, thinking that they're going to win and they're going to have control and they're going to take over, Jesus is going to rise up. Look at it with me. It says, both the beast and his false prophet were thrown, in, thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one sitting on the white horse. And all the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead body. This is a, I mean, it is a wicked scene of death and destruction. But of death and destruction of all evil and all evil powers that have existed, that have attempted to thwart the purposes of God for decades. And for those that you know, thought this was going to be a 12-round fight, they will be sorely disappointed. I love the way that Chuck Swindoll puts it. He says, let's cut to the, to the chase. Before anybody can utter the word Armageddon, the battle will be over. When God determines the end has come, it's curtains. Amen? Hallelujah. Yeah, I think we could say that today. We know what we're talking about now. We're celebrating Jesus for who he is and all that he has done and all that he yet will do on behalf of his people for anybody that turns their life over to Jesus. So the question is, if this grand feast, this grand wedding is coming that's to reunite God and his people, the question is, will we be ready for that? In the text it said, and the bride has prepared herself. So how do we make sure that we're prepared? Well, make sure you're RSVP. <laughs> you know, that's those things, they're, they're like on your counter or they're, they're hanging on, a, on the fridge and it's, it's up there and you know you're supposed to, but it's like you just don't get around to it. You know, the scary thing is that God has given an invitation He's invited all people to put their faith and trust in him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
so that whoever would believe in him, respond in belief, RSVP, would not have to perish, but might be saved, but might have everlasting life. The invitation stands. Have you RSVP'd? Have you responded? To respond, it simply means to call out to Jesus. Like I did, I remember when I was 17 years old and I first heard about Jesus and what he really did for me. And I went home from youth group that night and I kneeled down by my bed and I just said, Jesus, please save me. Please save me. Forgive me of my sins. I know that without you, I will not make it into heaven. It's not by, by works. It's not by good deeds. I need you, Jesus, your forgiveness, your grace. It's why we exist as a church, to help not just people take their next step, but to take their very first step. If you're here this weekend and that's never been clear to you, or you've just been doing the church thing, or maybe you've just been away for a long time and you're unsure, just respond and respond right now. Would you bow your head with me to say, Jesus, Forgive me of my sin. Save me. Save me, Jesus. I want to know you. I want to discover the life that you have for me. I want to be able to say with my whole heart, hallelujah. I praise the Lord because you have rescued me. You've changed my life. God, for anybody here today that needs to take that step, don't let them leave. Don't let them sleep until they bow their knee and cry out to you. Amen. For all the rest of us that have put our faith and hope in Jesus, how do, how do we be ready to prepare yourself by, by enduring hardship and remaining faithful? We know that the, the book of Revelation, it's, it's laid out some of what is yet to come and Sometimes it has to get worse before it can get better. So the question is, even if it gets harder, even if it gets worse, am I determined to keep the faith, to fight the good fight, to endure no matter what? And thirdly, invite others. Not, I'm, I'm not talking, I mean, yeah, you can invite them to church. You can invite them to the chapel, but we're not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Invite others to hear your story of how Jesus is changing your life so that they can be prepared, so that they can RSVP, so they can respond. Because that's our mission. Not just for the church, for us, for us up here to help people move closer. For you, you're the church. Your mission, when we walk out these doors today, is to help somebody else move one step closer to God and each other through Jesus Christ. And above all these things, how do we be ready? How do we be ready for this grand celebration, for this heavenly worship? Well, we start now. We worship now. We join in this eternal, echoing hallelujah. So let's stand and let's sing to him together.